in the 50s, Hispanics in the Catholic Church were about 5% of the U.S. Catholic Church. Now, in 2022, we're almost 50% of all Catholics in the U.S. In fact, it is incredibly astounding that most uh, of those Catholics are about 60% of those Catholics are Hispanic Latinos of 18 years or less. So I always say that the future of the Catholic Church has a Hispanic face. Those are wise words from Lucia Lusando, our guest on today's episode of Religious Freedom Matters. Welcome to our Religious Freedom Matters School Choice Season. I'm Andrea Pachati-Bayer, Director of the Conscience Project, and I'll be joined by my co-host, Senior Editor at the National Catholic Register, Joan Desmond. We heard on our prior episodes about the importance of getting the word out about the value of Catholic schools and the importance that Catholics have in advocating for school choice. On this episode, we'll be speaking about Hispanic Catholics in the U.S. and ideas on how to increase outreach to this vibrant community within our church. Our guest today is Lucia Baez Luzondo. Lucia is an immigration attorney, theologian, pastoral minister, writer, and co-founder of Family Renewal Ministries, Renovación Familiar, a ministry dedicated to promoting marriage and family in God's plan worldwide. She also serves as Director of Hispanic Outreach at the Person and Identity Project of the Ethics and Public Policy Center. She's previously served in three archdioceses as Director of Marriage and Family Ministry and Intercultural Ministries and as a cultural expert and consultant for several secretariats at the USCCB. And if that isn't enough, Lucia and her husband Ricardo host a television series and weekly radio program at EWTN Español. And yes, I've heard them refer to themselves as Lucy and Ricky. Welcome, Lucia, to Religious Freedom Matters. Thank you, Andrea. And thank you, Joan, also. Our very own legal eagle, Andrea. (laughs) I love that you keep calling me that. Lucia, good to see you. So glad you could join us. Thank you, Joan. It's an honor for me to be with you ladies, our legal legal, and such a (laughs) premier journalist as you are, Joan. Now, Lucia, on our prior episodes, Joan and I discussed with our expert guests increasing interest of parents in America for alternatives to their public schools. And we spoke about the opportunities this presents to our Catholic schools and to our church. But an issue that was underlying and undercurrent through all of that was the difference between the large percentage of Hispanics in the Catholic Church in America and the much lower percentage of Hispanic children attending Catholic schools. What's the situation? What are your thoughts about why that is? And what can we do to bridge that gap? You're absolutely right. And to put the issue in perspective, I would like to give some statistics that will clarify the great gap that there is between the Hispanic population, children in Catholic schools and attendance in those schools. In the 50s, Hispanics in the Catholic Church were about 5% of the U.S. Catholic Church. Now in 2022, we're almost 50% of all Catholics in the U.S. In fact, uh, it is incredibly astounding that most uh, of those Catholics are 
about 60% of those Catholics are Hispanic Latinos of 18 years or less. So I always say that the future of the Catholic Church has a Hispanic face. That is, and most of them, about 90% of them, are U.S. born, which is contrary to what people think. People think that most of the Hispanics young people in the United States are foreign born, and that is not the case. So they're American as anyone else. The sad part is that only 2.6% of the students in Catholic schools today are Hispanic Latino. So the gap is huge. Why is that? Finances, unfortunately, a significant portion of the Hispanic population in this nation is is poor, you know, does not have financial means. In fact, almost 30%, 26.2% are literally uh, living in poverty level. And the lack of uh, financial assistance and the lack of public vouchers or uh, the opportunity for school choice makes it very, very difficult for Hispanic Latino children to attend Catholic schools. Other gaps are the lack of information in Spanish, because although most of these children are U.S. born and they speak mostly English as their primary language, they, their parents speak mostly Spanish. So if we do not get the information about the availability, A, of Catholic schools and assistance programs to attend Catholic schools, we do not bridge that gap. And those parents, although they really, really want their children to be in Catholic schools, they do not get to know the information. Also, the lack of staff and teachers of Hispanic background in the schools, which are always the ones that bridge the gap between parents and the the opportunities that should be offered to them, they're mostly not there, but they're signs of hope. Mm -hmm. Um, Lucia, the pandemic has posed enormous challenges to all Catholic school families, but are there also unique issues faced by Hispanic families? If so, what is being done or should be done to address those at this point? The first thing facing Hispanic families is that most of these parents work in jobs that are considered to be of first necessity. So many of them, you know, uh, truckers, hotel workers, uh, cleaning teams, et cetera, staff in, in stores and supermarkets, they need to work. So many of them, that's why the incidence of COVID is greater among Hispanic populations because they have to be exposed. Mm -hmm. So that that brings a challenge uh, in itself. Also, many uh, Hispanics in the United States, unfortunately, are undocumented and uh, they have to live underground. And on top of living underground, the fact that they had to stay locked up for, for so long brought heightened levels of stress mm-hmm. within the family that, that made the problem more acute. Also, uh, a significant portion of the population of Hispanic parents lack the necessary education to be able to undertake 
school at home. So the online programs and the lack of knowledge of many in the in this population of computer skills, being tech savvy, puts him at a disadvantage. So this has created a tremendous void and a lack in Hispanic populations in order to get their education going. I think that has affected all populations because online education has proven not to be the most effective and especially limiting children in such an extreme way from their social interactions and so forth, their boredom of being in front of a screen. That's been uh, the truth about any population, but this is heightened in Hispanic populations. And just to finish up on that point, did you see anything that has kind of bridged this, that has found a way? I remember having a really interesting conversation with a Hispanic outreach director in the Archdiocese of Denver, where she ended up starting an online kind of support group where she was able to help people address the very issues you're dealing with. But she also identified lots of stress or even incidences of domestic violence because of the buildup of stress during such a time. But have you seen some some innovative ways to try to help this community? Yes, a lot of Hispanic ministers from the parish to the diocesan to the national level have mm-hmm. really been forced to help and educate and reach out to the Hispanic population to bring them up to par. So this has forced people to, through their phones or through their computers, to be able to become tech savvy at least on video conferencing platforms. So Mm -hmm. we have been able to join in a greater population, especially those that are homebound or that take care of children at home that do not work outside the home. There's greater participation uh, of those people in the life of the parish. So it has brought a tremendous benefit as well. You know, Lucy, when you were talking about um, the the stress on all families, but particularly families that are struggling to make ends meet or are concerned about, you know, their relationship with law enforcement and authority, one thing that I've been really worried about throughout this entire pandemic is schools are oftentimes, whether they're public or private, the first places where abuse or neglect of children is noticed or you know, conversely, kind of a preventative place, right? There's a place for for kids to kind of get a release for there to be that connection, that partnership with parents. And I've got to say, I would imagine that for families that are struggling and facing the stress and pressures of income loss or just having to work extra shifts, the fact that our Catholic schools have been open have probably been that important preventative step to keep families more stable. And I bet as we're learning more and more about child abuse during this pandemic or or neglect, we'll see that in places where neighborhoods are connected through their communities, through the church, and especially through Catholic schools, there's a a kind of a safety valve in place. Um, You know, I worry. I worry about what kind of information we're going to find out about the damaging effects, whether it's isolation or solitude or just everybody on top of each other as well. Have you heard any anecdotes of schools being safe havens, not just for the students there, Catholic schools, but for families as well as they've been coping through some of these challenging difficulties? Absolutely. Those 2.6% of families and and, uh, students 
of Hispanic background that are attending Catholic schools. Catholic schools have been a life-saving grace. Unfortunately, conversely, those that are attending public schools, which are the great majority of Hispanic children, about 97% of them, have not had that benefit. And absolutely, there's been an increase in anxiety, depression, all kinds of psychological morbidities. The increase of domestic violence has been palpable. And I do not have one or two anecdotes. I can tell you of hundreds of cases because Ricardo, my husband, and I are in the grassroots. I mean, we're we're frontline workers. So when Hispanics are concerned throughout the country, we constantly travel north, south, east to west. And and the impact has been tremendous. That's why our ministerial focus since the pandemic has been not only the charisma, evangelizing, but also giving parents the tools Mm -hmm. to be able to cope with these new challenges because they just were not armed. I'm not talking about every Hispanic because we have in the Hispanic world, of course, you would have the, the most simple and the poorest of the poor, but you can have, you know, a highly educated, well, right. you know, well um, financed people, but the bulk you know, have suffered quite a bit. And we have seen it in ministry in, in most definite ways. The only other benefit though, that, this pandemic has brought is that many parents have been forced to see and listen to what their children were being taught. And it has been scandalous to thousands and thousands of Hispanic parents about the ideologies and the content that their children are being exposed. So I've seen a tremendous trend, you know, and we have been promoting this seek, you know, Catholic schools to the uh, to the extent possible uh, or if not try to do homeschooling and there's been an avalanche of Hispanic mm-hmm. families daring to homeschool and sacrificing their finances even more leaving the mother and the home homeschooling and the father then going to do one and a half two jobs in in order to help their children no, Lucy, I wanted first to say thank you to coming to Arlington. It's my diocese, and I'm really grateful and really happy that you were able to go there to be at San, San Antonio, right, mm-hmm. in uh, Culmore neighborhood, where a lot of Hispanic, especially recent immigrants, are part of that vibrant parish. Uh, a shout out to Father Zuber Bueller, mm-hmm. who is one of the most incredible Texans I've ever met ministering to um, just a new wave of um, Hispanic uh, immigrants and second, third generation families with an abundance of love. You're right. Bishop Burbage here has done a wonderful job. I wanted just to kind of take back in our own church, this issue of um, kind of a church that's fractured sometimes uh, between the English and the Latin mass or the English and the Spanish mass, or we find, especially in different ethnic communities, there's a, you know, two parishes under one roof. Parochial schools, I have to believe, are a bridge between the two or three or even four different communities. Um, But it takes a lot of work. And part of what you're doing is speaking to the Hispanic ministry, but in conjunction with the leadership in a parish, in conjunction with the leadership in a diocese. 
what are some examples that you've seen of bridging that what could be a very big um, breach between different communities and especially where have schools been a successful part of closing that gap between especially English speaking uh, Catholics and Spanish speaking Catholics? Especially those Catholic schools that have made an intentional effort to reach out to Hispanic populations, you have seen a dramatic increase, uh, not only in the participation of Hispanic parents, especially when there is Hispanic, Hispanic staff on board, teachers, principals, etc. And they have absolutely been a bridge between parents and students. And most of those uh, kids in that parochial school are part of that parish. Those parents that are parents of children in the Catholic school learn from those connections in the Catholic parochial school and bring that knowledge word of mouth to other parents. And they have been a shining light. They illumine other parents that do not have children in Catholic schools and bring to light to them the what is happening to, to parents of children that are in, in public school. So those intentional, pro, uh, and there is a, um, a very, very new study that was issued by Boston College. Uh, the principal investigators were Dr. Hoffman Ospino and Dr. Melody Wittenbach, and they concluded that about 97% of Hispanic Catholic school teachers and 96% of Hispanic Catholic school leaders participating in the self-study self-identify as Catholics, and that when the Catholic schools make a specific effort to reach Hispanics, then the enrollment of Hispanics increases dramatically, increases between 20 and 30%. And that's what I call a win-win situation. Our Catholic schools are really needing help as far as enrollment. And the Catholic population can absolutely be the solution to that, to that gap as well. Lucia, you're bringing up such a good point. In fact, I before in anticipation of our conversation today, I checked in with Kathleen Domingo, who's executive director of the California Catholic Conference. And she said, actually, here in California, um, the Hispanic enrollment in Catholic schools is at 37 mm percent. -hmm. So they're doing much better here. I think one key thing, uh, one key strategy I'm guessing is in place is what Someone, an expert we spoke with last week, he's the director of Catholic Education Partners and focuses a lot on school choice. He says we have to get out of the upper room and get into the mix, into the neighborhoods, tell and, and start to spread the word in more direct ways. You know, what are your thoughts? What have you seen that is especially successful to bring Hispanics into the education system? 
first having at least one Hispanic staff that could be the liaison between the school and mm-hmm. the Hispanic parents. If you have more, all the better. I've seen schools, a particular school in, in Minnesota and uh, St. Paul, Minneapolis diocese that has actually hired a, a full-time staff just to deal with their tremendous influx of Guatemalan students. And she has made an incredible dramatic change in that particular school. That school is 98% Hispanic uh, right Mm -hmm. now. Number two, issuing materials in Spanish. A lot of people say, well, people need to learn English, and they do. But if you and I, at our age, Joan, Something happened in the United States and we had to move to Germany or to China at our age, having to make ends meet. And then somebody tells you, you have to learn the language or or you are third class citizen. That's going to be a problem. You know, uh, there's a lack of time, a lack of resources, a lack of education to in, in order to do that. So bridging the gap in Spanish with parents is absolutely premier. No, and I, Lucy, I can agree with you more. I think if we go back to our first principles, if parents are the primary educators, our schools need to recognize that by meeting parents where they are. And I've heard of schools that also, you know, after school offer English as a second language to parents. And it was a great way to bring parents actually to the school um, buildings as well and and let them know that they're a part of the school. They're not getting any favors. You know, our schools are there to strengthen our families and parents who are engaged and able to help and review their kids' homework or know what's going on and just ask about it at the dinner table and be engaged, that's going to have greater results for the long-term success of the, the child that's there. And that's really what we have. You know, we've seen it as a Catholic school phenomenon. Catholic students do, Catholic school students do much better as far as retention, graduation rates. We also want their families to thrive. So I, I can't agree with you more. I know that when I was out of the country in a Spanish-speaking country and my kids were studying in Spanish, it was really a challenge for me to be engaged in their their studies. And it, it was hard for me. It was humbling. And I really had to kind of up my game. And the kids also needed to be patient with mom, who was, you know, an old dog trying to learn <laughs> new tricks as well. Well, you know, I really want to thank you, Lucia. Um, this was incredibly informative. There's so much more. We have so many other questions that we wanted to ask you, but we're we're short on time. But uh, again, I would direct everyone, if you want to know more about what Lucia is doing, Lucia set up a, a fantastic website, Lucia Lusando with a Z-O-N-D-O dot com. You can also check out the work that she's doing along with her co-founders of the Person Identity Project at Person and Identity Project. Dot com. Uh, it's incredible work. I think we're equip- equipping our families and our schools and our church with needed information for facing what is a challenging but beautiful opportunity. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And certainly there's so much that can be done. And that is that is my job, being gente puente, rich person, <laughs> as we say in Hispanic ministry. And, uh, and the new trend also of uh, family catechesis, 
where the kids are taught in English, but the parents are also taught in Spanish what they're going to teach their children. It's done doing amazing strides in, in bridging that gap. So thank you, Lucia, for your wisdom and your service. Thank you, Joan. Thank you, Andrew. It was an honor to be with you and really just freedom matters because it does. <laughs> <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Well, don't forget, all of our Religious Freedom Matter podcast episodes can be found at the Register website, that's ncregister.com, and at the website of the Conscience Project, conscience-project.org. Joan and I want to thank you for listening. Our next episode in the series on school choice, we'll be speaking with Sam Brownback, former ambassador at large for international religious freedom and longtime statesman. Ambassador Brownback has formed the National Committee for Religious Freedom and what this group has in store when it comes to advocating for religious freedom and education and promoting school choice is up next. <music>